Welcome to the podcast of Jessup First United Methodist Church, featuring our pastor, Rebecca Duke-Barton. Our psalm for today is Psalm 34. We'll read verses 1 through 8. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. O magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he answered me, and delivered me from all my fears. Look to him and be radiant, so your faces shall never be ashamed. The poor soul cried and was heard by the Lord, and was saved from every trouble. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Happy are those who take refuge in Him. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. That's Colossians 3.23. We're beginning a new series on work today. I'm Rebecca Duke-Barton, the pastor here at Jessup First United Methodist Church. And sometimes we act as though we we work and that's separate from our spiritual lives. But John Ortberg points out that the heroes of the Bible mostly had regular jobs. Think about it. Isaac was a real estate developer. Jacob was a rancher. And Joseph was a government official whose responsibilities included agriculture, the economy, and immigration policy. Moses was a sheep herder, and Daniel was an immigrant who received a Babylonian education and became prime minister. Lydia was a successful businesswoman in textiles, and Paul was a tent maker. And, of course, Jesus himself was a carpenter. As we will read today we'll learn that Adam was a farmer. See, God built us to work. In paradise, there was work to do. So let's read from Genesis chapter 2, beginning at verse 4. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created. In the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, when no plant of the field was yet on the earth and no herb of the field had yet sprung up, For the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth, and there was no one to till the ground. But a stream would rise from the earth and water the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. Out of the ground the Lord God made to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Then skip down to 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to till it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You may eat freely of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper as his partner. So out of the ground the Lord God formed every animal of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all cattle and to the birds of the air and to every animal of the field. 
But for the man, there was not found a helper as his partner. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. This one shall be called woman, for out of man this one was taken. Therefore a man leaves his father and his mother and clings to his wife, and they become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Job than any of you. But instead to say that everything in this job description belongs to the whole church family. My job enables me to put God first, to help people who are sick or poor or grieving. And so does yours, because you were made in the image of God, and God has called you to a particular vocation so that he can bless the world through you. That's what vocation originally meant, a calling. Sometimes we make it seem like the true Christian jobs are preachers or church music directors or missionaries are just a whole nother level of holy. And we make it sound like other jobs are just what you do to make it in the world. We can get the attitude that our work doesn't matter to God. It's just business. But that isn't what we read in the scripture. Colossians 3.23 tells us, whatever your task, put yourselves to it as done for the Lord. That wasn't written to preachers. It was written to household slaves, to people who did the menial jobs and who didn't have a choice but to obey their masters. But Paul invited them and us to think about work differently. What if whatever you're doing is not for your master or your boss or your teacher? What if your work is meant to glorify God? Our Protestant understanding of Christian vocation has always been that God intends for us to use our positions to bless other people. We farm because our neighbors are hungry. We teach because students need to learn. We make a product well because a good pair of shoes or a dependable car will be a blessing to someone else. We dispense medicine or give shots or clean teeth because people need to be healed. It's back to school Sunday here at Jessup First Methodist, and I think about the way that teachers have influenced my life over the years, and I know they've influenced yours, too. One of my teachers from Richmond Hill went on to glory this year. She was a Methodist, so I sent her preacher a few notes about the things that I remembered about her. As I wrote, so many memories came forth. We were pages for the Georgia Senate. I had my first airplane ride with Miss Cassidy. We flew from Savannah to Charleston, toured the airport, and then flew home. The flight was 12 minutes long. That went along with an economics unit that we were forming companies to build paper airplanes. And then at the end, we had a contest to see which team had built the best airplane. When we studied Native American cultures, her classroom became a sea of homemade teepees. But I also remember the love and care she showed for all of her students. She was working for the Lord as a teacher. How many of you can think of a coach or a teacher who was clearly doing the work of the Lord in the way that they influenced you? Because it's time for the Olympics, I was thinking about the story told in the movie Chariots of Fire about the 1924 Olympics. Harold Abrams is a runner, and he says he's running for his family, for his university, and for his country. 
Those are all good-sounding reasons. But in his running, he lacks contentment. The work is burdensome for him. I'm forever in pursuit, and I don't even know what I'm chasing. Eric Liddell, on the other hand, has a different perspective on running. I believe God made me for a purpose, but he also made me fast. When I run, I feel his pleasure. That's a different view of work. Both were in the Olympics, but one is running and experiencing pleasure, and the other is being crushed by it. What's the difference? It's the sense of calling. It's the sense that Eric Liddell had that whatever the task, he was doing it for the Lord. Work was a part of God's original purpose for us. In his book, Every Good Endeavor, Tim Keller points out that in creating the world, God was at work, and we are created in his image. We are to reflect God in creation. God is saying to us, go and do what I have done. Make things out of what I have created. Work was always part of God's plan. It was God's plan in paradise. Things didn't grow until Adam was there to work the land. The scripture says the Lord God put to man and put him in the garden of Eden to till it and keep it. God made work so his creation could thrive. The command to be fruitful and multiply requires work. But work in the garden was always rewarding. Every seed that they planted grew. The sun never scorched the crops. It never flooded when it was time to pick. Everything went their way. I'm sure Adam and Eve, in their work, could feel God's pleasure. George Washington Burnup suggests that the grand essentials to happiness in this life are something to do, someone to love, and something to hope for. Adam and Eve had all of that. And then came the fall. The fall didn't just affect individual spiritual lives. The fall affected all of creation. It became more difficult to farm and grow food. There wasn't always enough water. Work became a burden. They did a survey a few years ago where something like 80% of people said that they were unhappy in their jobs. We hate our work because of our brokenness. Or we let work become an idol. We work and we don't have time for relationships. We work for our own glory rather than the glory of God. We are forever in pursuit and we don't know what we're chasing. If your work right now is learning, that's affected you too. God made us to be curious and creative, to want to learn so we could follow his design to care for his creation. But sometimes our own brokenness makes us dislike what we're doing. One of my professors in college used to scoff at us when we were excited to get out of class early. He'd say, students are the only people to pay for something, and then are mad when you give it to them. Beloveds, God wants you to take pleasure in learning. It glorifies him when you are preparing yourself for caring for his creation. Jesus grew in wisdom and stature. We know that Jesus was the Messiah and healer and God himself, but he was also a carpenter. Jesus learned and worked, and it gave God glory. When we read Genesis 2, we realize in the garden they had the essentials of happiness, and we've lost them. Something to do, something to love, and something to hope for. 
the fall affected our relationships with other people. Here in Genesis 2, when it was paradise, we were created with a need for connection. Adam needed a partner. We were made to help one another. We don't need to get so caught up in the idea of Eve as just a helper. Just about every other time that the word helper appears in the Bible, it's talking about God as the helper. So the fact that so much of history has seen women in a lesser position just shows how deep the fall runs in our world. But Jesus came to redeem us from our fallen state. Jesus came to restore the image of God in us that was marred by the fall and eventually to restore all of creation to its original design. It's true for our spirits and our souls. It's true for our relationships and our work. As people who have been redeemed by the grace of God, we go back to the original purposes that God had in creating Adam and Eve to till and keep the land, to be fruitful, to help one another, to bear the image of God in his creation. Because we bear the image of God, we are doing the work of God in the world. That's why we can live out Colossians 3 in the assignment that it gives us. We can work heartily with all our might because we are working for the Lord. We have a vocation, and that is a blessing from the Lord. It's a blessing in our own lives, and it's a blessing for all of creation. But the thing about it is, we've got to understand that our calling, our vocation, is intended to bless other people. Robert Bella, the sociologist, wrote in Habits of the Heart, that to make a real difference in in our whole world, we would have to reappropriate the idea of vocation or calling. We'd have to return in a new way to the idea of work as a contribution to the good of all and not merely as a means to one's own advancement. In other words, our work is not just meant to benefit ourselves, but to help others and care for the creation that God has entrusted to us. As people made in the image of God, our vocation is meant to glorify God. Ah, but now that raises the question, how can we know just what our calling is? It's what we ask every one of you who's been to school. What do you want to be when you grow up? My essay in sixth grade was a variation on that question. But the truth of the matter is we should be asking, what is God calling you to do? That takes listening to God. But that isn't a question just for students. Some of you are going through a mid-career change, and that's a good opportunity to ask God about your calling. It comes up again in your 60s as you retire. It's not God's plan for your life to spend 20 or 30 years only living for yourself. Golf and bridge and eating out aren't going to sustain you. You're still made in the image of God. You are still called for a purpose. Sky Jatani in his book Futureville explains that the Puritans developed an idea of three types of vocation. The first calling on our lives is the call to God. We are meant to glorify and worship Him. The second calling is common to all Christians. Things that you can pick up your Bible and read about. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your enemies. Feed those who are hungry. Do not kill. This is also things about our work, whatever your task. Christian people work honestly. We don't steal. We tell the truth. Those apply to all Christians. 
God has given us a revelation about our common calling that we can pick up and read. But the third type of calling is specific to you. I remember when I was trying to decide if I was going to seminary, wishing that I could pick up the Bible and read, okay, it says, Adam, till the land, Rebecca, preach. And then I had to decide which seminary. My friend suggested flipping five nickels, and whichever school got three out of five would be the right school. I really wanted a burning bush or an angel visit. Sometimes learning about our specific call takes more work to discern. Our specific calling takes prayer and listening to God. But we might think back to the story that we've read in Genesis. The first people were to be fruitful, to till the land, to be helpers. They participated in the goodness of the garden. So we might ask questions like, who needs help? Where are there places that need tilling in order to be fruitful? How can I participate in the goodness of God's plans? I know doctors and nurses who were called into that vocation because people always get sick. And they wanted to be part of God's healing work. I know lawyers who saw places that were not just in our society and wanted to make things right. I know restaurant owners who love to cook and feed hungry people. And business owners who believe that they can help their community by running an honest business and giving people jobs. So who needs help is one question to ask. But it's also true that God has given you particular talents. I would never have been able to make a living at anything that I had to push people to buy a product. Some of you are great at sales. If I had to make a living at anything athletic, well, there would be no more gold medals or goals in soccer or home runs. Some of you are great at athletics, and that's where you feel God's pleasure. But some of you would faint on the spot at having to stand in the pulpit and preach every Sunday. And that's where I feel God's pleasure. Though, beloveds, if you feel a call to Christian ministry, don't let public speaking be what stops you. God will equip you for what he calls you to do. Frederick Buechner suggests that we can best know our calling by this. The place that God calls you is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. It's at that crossroads that we find our calling, our vocation. It's in that crossroads of gladness and hunger that we're able to live out our purpose. And when you find that place, you feel God's pleasure. May it be so. Every week in this series at Jessup First United Methodist Church, we'll be praying for particular vocations. This week, since it's back to school, we're praying for teachers and students. But to go along with our Genesis text, we're also praying for farmers and homemakers. We'll cover other careers through this series. And so I invite you now to pray with me. Lord, we pray for all of the students who are going back to school. We think about how Jesus grew in wisdom and stature, and we pray for our kids to grow in your wisdom, to grow up strong and healthy in mind and body. Put a hedge of protection around them, especially this year, Lord. Protect them from COVID. Protect them from all illness. Protect them from bullies. Protect their minds and their bodies, Lord God. Take away everything that is meant for evil and replace it with a blessing. 
We pray for teachers and all of the adults who work with the school systems, administrators, bus drivers, nutritionists, aides, coaches. Bless them all, Lord. Let them feel your pleasure as they live out their calling and mold the minds of our children according to your will. We pray for families as they send their children back to school. We pray that you would help bring balance to families in the midst of trying to start the new school year. We thank you for those who are homemakers, who focus their families into godly ways and make home a haven of blessing. We thank you for our farmers, Lord, who, like Adam, till the soil and keep it. We pray for rain in due season and a fruitful harvest. We thank you, Lord, for the blessings that our farmers bring to our community and to our world. May we all, Lord, find joy and purpose in our work as we live out the calling in our lives. In the mighty name of Jesus, the carpenter and the Savior, we pray. Amen. You've been listening to the podcast of Jessup First United Methodist Church with Rebecca Duke Barton. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit our website. It's jessupfumc.org. That's J-E-S-U-P-F-U-M-C dot org.